I'm really happy to uh, see you this morning. Um, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I wanted to just introduce myself and say who I am. I'm the associate pastor of care here at Mill City, and I work very closely with Pastor Becky, who is my uh, partner in crime when it comes to caring for our community. I feel like I, what, what do I do, right? I pray a lot. I hug a lot and get coffee with people. That's my job. Every once in a while, I get the opportunity to preach. But also, I'm the director of internship and, Beth, uh, internship and placement at Bethel Seminary, and I've been there for four years, and, but I've been at Bethel for a total of 23 years. I worked with, exactly, wow. I worked with um, undergraduate students. I was a dean. I was a campus pastor. I had various roles uh, working with undergraduate students, and I really have enjoyed that. Um, there's a picture that's going to come up with me and my family. I've been married to Herb Johnson for 24 years. We have two children, Trevion and Kiara. Uh, and we have three animals. We have a geriatric dog and a spicy cat and a sweet cat. Our sweet cat is named Myla. Our spicy cat is named Samantha. And our geriatric dog is named Leo. Um, and that's just one of those few pictures that they were all in the picture together, and I didn't want to have to do separate pictures. Um, normally, uh, well, actually, all the time, Leo is wearing diapers. That's kind of where we are. He is, uh, doesn't hear well, doesn't see well, gets stuck in corners. That's where we are. Um, and that's okay. He still likes to eat and so has the zoomies. Like every once in a while, it gets really excited for whatever reason, dogs get excited, I don't know. But uh, that is my family. And this is the first time I am preaching in this space since Las Estrellas. So um, there's a difference. <laughs> Beautiful stained glass windows, uh, pews, the lighting is a huge difference, which means I can see you. <laughs> I see who's in the audience, even Randy Swanson behind the mask. I could see you, I could see you, uh, Gary and Lauren. Like I can see people, so I can see you if you are staring blankly at me, if you are sleeping, if you are on your phone. I'm just saying, I see it all now. Thank you, Doug. Appreciate that. So anyway, I am the closer for this series, Love Your Neighbor. And even though I'm closing out this series, it is not meant for us to check it off of our list because we have got that down. We have got this loving our neighbor down. But my prayer is that we will continue to find ways to love our neighbor and that our mission for loving our community in the name of Jesus is truly our hearts beat, not just for church on Sunday, but in our everyday lives. So the story I'm about to share with you looks at our hearts and it goes deeper than the surface level of asking the question, 
who is my neighbor? The question asked by the expert on religious law was actually, that was the wrong question. The word neighbor was very, very confining because the Jews at the time would have confined their neighbor to other Jews. And Jesus is trying to make the point by expanding their idea of who is my neighbor. So in this series, we've heard from different pastors walk us through chapters Luke and 9, Luke 9 and 10, and today we're going to finish those two chapters. We see in just a small part of scripture how Jesus encourages his disciples to engage with their neighbors as it culminates in the end of chapter 10 in a passage that is familiar to all of us, and it's called the Good Samaritan. This story is so familiar that our broader culture has picked up on this idea of what it means to be a Good Samaritan. Do you know that there's a Good Samaritan law? That's a yes, right? Okay, okay, all right. So, and Good Samaritan laws are written to encourage bystanders to get involved in emergency situations without fear that they're going to be sued if their actions inadvertently contribute to a person's injury or death. And in most instances, a bystander can't be held liable for not helping. However, there are exceptions. A Good Samaritan law in Vermont, Minnesota, and Rhode Island requires some kind of action, even if it's a limited capacity. An effort has to be made when you see someone that's hurt. And the bottom line is you're protected by the law if you try to help someone who ends up getting hurt or end up dying. But I'm not sure that's what the Good Samaritan was thinking on his road. He wasn't thinking about being sued. But in our day, we actually have to think about that. And that's another sermon. <laughs> so let's get to the biblical text. If you turn with me to Luke or on your tablet, whatever you've got, your phone, but it's okay to pick up your phone now because I know you're, you've got the word right there, right? Okay, not looking at Facebook. Anyway, I digress. Okay, so I'm going to read the first part of the scripture, make some comments, and then go to the second part of the scripture. So I'm going to read from Luke 10, 25, starting at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. That should have been the end of it, but we'll, we'll get into more of why that wasn't the end of it. So this expert in the law wanted to test Jesus. This would not be the first time that Jesus would be tested. He was often tested by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and even the devil tested him in the wilderness. But the testing of Jesus happened in various stories in the New Testament, such as when he healed the paraplegic, or ate with tax collectors, or picked grain and healed on the Sabbath. Jesus answered the question with a question, which is what we would call a Socratic method of teaching, which all the teachers in this room understand that. And the expert says, 
he decides he's going to quote Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, which is basically the same answer that Jesus has given the same question in Matthew and, and Mark 12, Matthew 22 and Mark 12, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This expert of the law is someone who would have been very strict about keeping the Mosaic law and critical of those who did not keep it. So Jesus basically says to the expert, yep, got the right answer. You're good. That's, that, that's it. But then the story gets more interesting because the expert tries to rationalize himself by putting limits. Hello, Putting limits, see, I see you, on who is my neighbor. Have you ever tried to rationalize with God? The God of the universe? <laughs> Omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing God. Have you ever tried to rationalize with God? Thank you. All right, thank you for being honest. And I'm going to tell a story of the time that I rationalized with God. And it was, a, it was a number of years ago, prior to man, marriage, and I was rationalizing with God about a relationship I was in, because I was at least going to church. That, that was my argument. I'm, I'm going to church, God. And I made it through a service without feeling convicted at all about my actions in this unhealthy relationship. Literally, go through church, everything. It, we're like literally almost done, ready to walk out the door, and a deacon gets up, and he says, Pastor, the Pentecostal church, okay? It's not going to happen here. <laughs> Pastor, I just feel like the Lord has laid something on my heart, and I want to share. And this is a well-respected deacon in the church. And he basically said something to the point of someone making choices that they shouldn't. I mean, this was like 100 years ago, so it was a long time ago. So, but I'm like, you have got to be joking me, God. Like, seriously? Like, service is over. But the Lord had a word for me and used that man. And he might have had a, it might have been for other people too. But I knew that that day it was for me. And this expert may have figured, I can keep the law. I'm a good follower of the law. I go to the temple. I go to church. I got this, but really, it's easier said than done when it involved an action which would have made it more difficult. And by the way, I did get out of that relationship, just in case you wanted to know. Thank you. And I hear, I see everything, and I hear everything. So, Jesus answers his question with a parable, which Jesus often did to make his point. Jesus used parables with these simple illustrations from their culture for them to understand how this story would affect their lives. So let's read. I'm going to start with uh, verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Remember, because he wanted to put limits on this. And Jesus said, gives him this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he, attacked, he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want you to see a couple of maps just to get a visual of where these three characters would have been walking. It's about a 17-mile journey on the road, on the Jericho Road. The first map is a picture of a general area of Israel. The second map is a picture of the terrain. So it's like going from Mill City just to about Egan, but you're descending downwards 3,600 feet which if you're a runner, it's a little bit more, 17 is a little bit more than a half marathon. That's a long way. And to be going down in a dis descent, descending um, in, in the mountains. So to travel from Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho was quite a journey. Because of this terrain, it was rocky, it was risky, it was steep. You're going down towards the Jordan River with lots of caves for robbers and thieves to hide. It had a reputation and it was known as a rough area to travel through. So the priest, he goes first. He was traveling, he was seen as the highest person of respect in the Jewish community. And he like so respected like the priest. The priest has access to God. But the priest is passing by, and he may have thought, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to touch this guy. He looks half dead. And I don't want to become unceremonially clean, ceremonially unclean. I don't want to touch him. wonder if something happens. wonder if he dies. So the priest sees him, but there's no action. And he crosses over to the side of the path. The Levite, he comes along, and he's a person who would aid the priest in the temple. And the Levite may have been thinking, man, if I touch this body, he's, I might be unclean too because I can't touch somebody who's dead. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be able to carry out my duties. So the priest sees him but walks by. The Levite sees him and walks by, the man who needed help. Even though they saw, they really didn't see. They didn't see his pain. They didn't see his suffering. And honestly, they didn't have to really worry about their duties because they were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that may, that may have been their excuse. I don't know. But then the Samaritan saw. He had compassion and he took pity 
because his eyes were open to his pain. But you got to know something about the Samaritans. They were despised by the Jews. When the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, there was a percentage who stayed and intermarried with the Assyrians. They were viewed as traitors and enemies and heretics. The Jews felt culturally superior to them because they worshipped other gods. And if you recall, in Luke 9.51, when Jesus sent out his messengers ahead to Samaria to prepare for his arrival, the Samaritans didn't want Jesus because he was Jewish and he was on his way to Jerusalem. So the disciples, John and James, asked Jesus, uh, they don't want us. Should we call down fire from heaven to, like, burn them up? Uh, Jesus rebuked them, saying, yeah, Jesus rebuked them. No, guys, love our enemies? Yeah, they forgot that. To the Jews, there was no such good thing as a good Samaritan. There was nothing positive to be said about this entire people group. And Jesus believed that no, Jews believed that no good thing could come from being a Samaritan. And honestly, Jesus understood that. If you remember, Nathaniel said that to Philip when they were being called his disciples. Can anything come from Nazareth? Jesus understood those feelings. The man in the ditch was most likely Jewish, and he is, remind, we, he is reminded that what it may have been like to be forgotten by others and maybe forsaken by God as his own people walked past him. But he was surprised by the one who did help him, not the ones who looked like him, worshipped like him, thought like him, talked like him, married like him, he was helped by someone he despised. The Augsburg commentary in the book of Luke said this, compared to the Samaritan, the righteous and observant religious leaders of Israel fail to love their neighbor, which is what the Lord commanded. If our hearts are full of grace, mercy, and compassion and love for our neighbors, we won't ask who is our neighbor. It won't matter that they were on a dangerous road. We won't ask questions of why he was on the road by himself. Or what, do, why, what were you thinking? You knew it was a dangerous road. It's your fault. We can easily go down that road of thinking when we see people because we can come up with all kinds of rationale not to help. We don't know this man's story. We just know that he was beaten up his clothes were taken, and he was half dead, and he needed help. And it was the Samaritan that showed mercy. The Augsburg Commentary goes on to say, the Samaritans, mercy, risk, generosity, human concern, and even practical attention to the needs of the afflicted reprove those who want to set limits. Because there are no limits to who your neighbor is. I'm going to say that again because I got an amen. <laughs> there are no limits to who your neighbor is. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. And the Samaritan did 10 things to help. Actually, 11. But 10's a nice round number. 
He saw him. He came to him. He didn't walk by. He took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil to soothe his wounds. He poured wine to disinfect his wounds. He put the man on his donkey and he walked alongside him. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. He didn't leave him the first night. He stayed with him. He paid for his room. That's 10. I don't have another finger. But this is the bonus. He will come back and pay more if that's needed. So what do you think Jesus wants us to notice in this parable? He makes the Samaritan the hero, the person who was despised, the one who was despised by religious leaders, despised so much that the expert of the law can't even say Samaritan when Jesus asks the question, so which of these three was the neighbor? He was the one who had mercy. He doesn't even say Samaritan. Jesus shows him it was the wrong question. In response, Jesus told him what it means to be a neighbor. What it means to be a neighbor. So what have I taken from this very familiar story that many of us know? It's important to see people. There was a professor at Bethel, Karen McKinney, who taught in the BTS youth ministry area, taught for many, many years, and she did a lot of classes on racial reconciliation. And she does this experiential exercise called Other People's Power. And this is when I first started at Bethel. So I didn't know anything about this experiential exercise she was gonna do. I just know that I got in line, I was broken up into three groups. There was a group that had a bunch of chairs with food. There was another group that there was a bunch of chairs that people were sitting on. And then there was another group that uh, people were basically in a box. And we were to take, she gave us coins. And when it was time, we were to exchange coins with each other. And the whole idea was to get as much, many coins as you could. And so I was at first in the middle group where we all at least had chairs and I had gotten a coin that got me to the comfy chairs where there were bagels and fruit and juice. And um, that was really important because I was hungry. <laughs> it was early in the morning. It's one of those early classes that Karen taught. And so I um, really enjoyed this not noticing what's going on in the box, not even in the middle group. I didn't notice that in the box, every time we would exchange uh, the coins, the people who were facilitating were making the box smaller and smaller. I didn't realize that the garbage that we had made up here, the few of us that were sitting, was being thrown down there. It was, to, it was looking at class and race. That was the whole point. And it was about a 30-minute exercise, and then we'd process for a long time. And she was an expert at processing this experience with us. But what I learned is I didn't see, because I was too busy 
and I literally had my back. I didn't even want to see what was going on down there. I may have turned my back a couple times, but I was, I was having my bagel and my juice and my fruit. That is what was important to me. In our society, we don't have to see. We can just step over and cross to the other side. And Jesus is asking us not to be those people who look the other way and who step over other people. So when I think of this series, Pastor Aaron, he opened us up and he talked about loneliness and how God created us for connection and joining in God's mission and the effects of doing the will of God. Pastor Oshers, he talked about when we see people of peace, we got to stay present. God's transforming love is moving around us and our invitation is to be present to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Pastor Steph talked about moving towards those who are hard to love. But Jesus is going to show us how to love even the most difficult people. And then Pastor Gary last week did an excellent job on uh, helping us to communicate hope from our own experiences and challenge us to pray every day and to let go of something that is hindering us and to let God surprise us. So this is what I believe Jesus is asking us as I wrap up this series. Join in in what God is doing and see people. Be present and stay. It's going to be hard, but God's going to show us and communicate hope so God can minister to those you meet and God will surprise you. So do we have any note takers? Thank you. Carrie, back there. So this is what I'm saying. See, stay, show, surprise. What do you call those things? What do you do them all the time? Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. So you remember. See, stay, show, surprise. Who might be passing you by and you may not be even realizing it because they don't look like you or act like you or smell like you or think like you. Are we seeing people in the image of God in everyone we come in contact with? Are we seeing God's image in them? Because if we take the posture, who do you want me to see today, Lord? Be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And I think we can ask ourselves these questions just to wrap up. Are we willing to have our plans change to love our neighbor and not pass them by? Which might mean going around a block again to give something to that panhandler, a gift card, a bag of love, something you brought from home, a granola bar or whatever. Cooking an extra meal for a neighbor sitting with an elderly neighbor or offering to help with yard work. The Good Samaritan, I am sure this was not on his plan. I'm just trying to get from Jerusalem to Jericho, minding my business. Oh, my goodness. I got to help. That wasn't his plan. 
And are you willing to have your plans changed to love your neighbor? Are you willing to pour out? What are you willing to pour out? Time or resources? Maybe investing in a kid who needs another adult in their life because they're not listening to their parents. Or a family member who can use a break for caring for their children. Sometimes aunties and uncles are the best ones for kids to be able to connect with. Or supporting organizations that help others. Because the Samaritan was giving up his resources. He had oil and wine. I'm sure that was, that was, that, that was a lot of money. And he had to use that to care for someone else. And thirdly, how do we help in the next step? And the way I think of this, this is who needs our help in making some next steps in their life? Who needs encouragement to go to school? Maybe someone doesn't know the process. Maybe you're that person to help them or that person to help them. This is how you buy a home. This is how you do this. Whatever the case may be. The Good Samaritan had a plan to help with the expenses for this man to be cared for. I'd love the worship team to come up. But our neighbor is everyone around us. It's not those people who look like us, smell like us, walk like us, think like us, vote like us. It is everyone who is around us. And our job as followers of Christ is to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see people. People at your work, at the park, at church, at the grocery store, wherever the case may be, Jesus is asking us to see people. Jesus told stories so that our lives would be changed, so we can emulate him and live out his calling of loving our neighbors. It's not easy at all. It's not easy to love people who are hard to love. It's not easy to love people who are different from us. But that's what we have been called to do. And if the Holy Spirit will, if you ask God to help, I guarantee you the Lord will help you. And you will be surprised what God does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to, I thank you for the opportunity to just be able to share your word, Lord. I thank you for um, your conviction of, of the need to see people. And Lord, we want to see people. Everyone is our neighbor, and we are responsible for each other in this world. Help us to do that. We can only do that with your spirit. But Lord, we're going to trust you because we want to be surprised. We desire to be surprised. So we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity. And we just want to honor you and bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.